0: right. Welcome, gang, to the MMOs.com podcast. Episode 156 here. Time sure does fly. Altai joined this week by...
1: Oh, And I was hoping for that sweet, sweet ASMR introduction.
0: No, you can't do it every week. Gotta leave the gang waiting. Oh, Black Flash 400. Thank you for that Twitch Prime subscription. Mucho love. What do we got going on this week, Altai? What do we got going on? Well, the EU is at it again. It's goddamn commies. It's goddamn commies. They can't just leave the internet alone, can they? What, what, what are they ruin now? What are they, what, what are they screwing up? All right. So I think a few weeks ago now, we talked about the GDPR, uh, which I was in favor of, actually. And it basically forces companies to tell users what information is being stored on them. And it gives them an easy way to basically opt out and delete have that have, you know that
1: information deleted on them. Uh, that's that... one perspective of what the GDPR does, but the reality is what the GDPR ends up doing is it it uh, puts on burdensome burdensome costs for small gaming companies to comply with bureaucratic nonsense from the EU, which led to the international Ragnarok online banning all EU players. It led to the shutdown of like three or four random games on Steam, and we're seeing more random games being shut down because of GDPR. The God way you describe the, des- the way you described that was so like peachy, like, oh, it makes everyone's data more protective and it gives more power to the consumers no the reality is you, if you if you live in you know if you live in Europe you can't play international Ragnarok online anymore all right you just lost your character and you're fucked that that's the reality look i i like the fact that the default
0: now is privacy okay and if, if that's too much bureaucracy for certain companies then good riddance i hope they got a business i mean if 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 their if their um <sighs> starting principle is to fuck the customer you know screw over the customer right it's, then it's screw late. them i don't oh care why. oh my about
1: god they're, anyway they're, Dude, hold on. To the practice of- policy is not. Fuck, to fuck them. The yes, it is. No, it's not. The, they they just don't have any systems in place to, to delete that cookie data. Random bullshit. Like, the whole GDPR thing was set up to combat co- companies like Facebook and Google, which have enormous amounts of data. Like your gaming company doesn't have. They, they're not really going out of their way to collect who you're PMing in game. All this other bullshit. That, that's not important. That's not their business. They're not an av- That's for advertising companies. So gaming companies were kind of caught in the crosshair of the GDPR. It wasn't even targeting them. Anyway, that is not even our main topic of discussion. What are the Europeans ruining now? Let's hear it, time. Let's get to the real deal here, okay?
0: So this week, actually actually, last month, they passed something called the New Copyright Directive. I like that, directive, you know, very very formal. It's very Star Trek-esque, the directive. And basically, this has a whole host of sweeping uh, articles in it. The most well-known is probably Article 13. And what Article 13 is going to do is you guys are all familiar with YouTube, right, out there? So, on YouTube, now, if you upload, like, let's say, a music video, right, that you just downloaded, you basically can't even get away with that. It'll automatically say, this is copyrighted. Uh, it's owned by, like, UMC Music or whatever, you know, to, you know, to, can't upload this. Well, a lot of other sites won't say that, you know, like uh, Daily Motion or all these other crap sites. Basically, they let you upload anything you want. Um... And, you know, maybe later they'll get like a DMCA request and remove it. But initially you can upload anything you want. And that's because mm-hmm. uh, the operating principle on the internet today is something called safe harbor. Basically, if you're a platform like YouTube or Facebook or, or anything, mm-hmm. you or, or Twitch, let's say, um, you're not responsible directly for what your users put online. Uh, if they put on like if – let's say I start streaming porn right now. I mean Twitch might ban me, but they're not going to like be fined or whatever, Right um as long as they uh take down any copyright information that gets you know that the holder asks to get removed right they're, they're in the safe okay they can't be preemptively punished like you, uh, these companies what direct uh, article 13 is going to do is basically force everybody every company facebook everyone to basically have a content filter in place so that we can, you, you cannot post a picture on facebook uh if it gets flagged let's say I have a picture of like i don't know, beyonce or something and i put that online and she doesn't want me having that picture and sharing it right i just cannot post it on facebook Mm -hmm. so uh what do you think of that amir
1: so it seems like what they're doing is uh basically whereas before companies were not liable for copyrighted content being posted on their platform now they're more preemptively liable so now from my my understanding of article 13 i I was introduced to it just basically in the pregame, is that now basically every website is required to have some kind of system in place already to prevent any copyrighted content from appearing on their website yep whereas this burden was not there before before, if there was something on there, the copyright holder could co- complain to the website and do a DM, some kind of takedown notice, and they would take it down. Now, basically, every site is required to have some kind of a uh, content ID system, the way YouTube already has it. So you, to every website is required to basically prevent this stuff from ever happening in the first place. Now, the problem with this is it sounds good, and obviously people wanna, you know, I mean, let's be real, most gamers don't give a shit about copyrights, and we all pirate music and stuff too. We do all that shit, right? But we wanna, you know, generally, most people are okay with, you know, artists getting paid for their work and stuff but it's going to impact i think um the smaller companies more strongly like just in, in any kind of small website where you can't afford to have the those content id systems in place i know youtube spends millions on their content id system but like any kind of off-the-shelf solution to prevent you know copyrighted content going on your website is, is difficult like what's just like especially like comments is Like what's this what's to stop somebody from copying and pasting an article on a comment or on reddit on facebook on anywhere like well, that just it's, yeah, not gonna stop, it's not going to stop them but it, the, the it'll might be fees
0: no but it'll it'll, it'll flag it. It, it why not You, can, I don't think it'd be too difficult here's the thing I could see why in 1990 or whatever when the internet got started why it was almost impossible for companies to preemptively scan everything that comes in right like if you're yeah. like if you're like Myspace you can't like control what 100 million people are uploading every second right but yeah. today we as YouTube has demonstrated there are you know the software the technology does exist to scan things automatically as they come in
1: and flag them Right? Like, this clearly exists, the technology for this. It, it exists, but companies like YouTube own it. And YouTube has probably spent like tens of millions developing sure. this technology for sure. themselves. Okay. But how do you expect a smaller site? Let's say like, uh, like not Reddit, but there's a website called vote, like V-O-A-T dot code. They're like the, they're the version of Reddit that allows like any kind of like free speed stuff. So you get a lot of weird shit on there. Like how do they police this? For example, like how do, how do smaller websites that are not YouTube, that are multi-billion dollar companies, you know, inf- have these kinds of systems in place?
0: well they, they get they build themselves or they work together and fund someone to build them it's like this how do, every restaurant okay in America at least has to have like a sink like behind the counter right and, and, yeah. and, a, and a restaurant and a bathroom right a male and female yeah. bathroom uh you kind mean, make the same argument wow well, if I
1: want to open a small pizza place
0: I can't afford a bathroom
1: you know a bathroom costs I, a lot of money I don't think it's the same thing because even even the thing is even with YouTube's content ID system they spend like uh like it's not just they spend 10 million dollars and that's like they spend millions every year to improve their content ID system and, and they people mandate employees manually removing content as well like put that kind of burden on like a, a non fortune 500 non billion dollar company seems like really ridiculous like what was wrong with the previous system like well, the
0: problem is there's a lot of copyright fraud going on see at least YouTube is preemptively uh, doing the right thing there's a, a European uh, video service called daily motion and often mm-hmm. when I search um, like a, a show to watch right like a like a shark tank or something right on Google, yeah. like uh, Shark Tank, watch episode, you know, whatever six. Uh, Daily Motion is sometimes one of the options. I can watch full episodes on there, right? That would not happen on YouTube, but, uh, but it happens on Daily Motion. And Daily Motion, by the way, I believe is owned by a giant French company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a scrappy guy in his garage. Just, you know, there's like this uh, myth
1: that they're trying to, you know, fool you with. Well, hold on, there are like tiny ass forums. That Daily, Daily Motion is obviously huge, but like this law is going to impact basically any small community, like anywhere. where any whether it's a form whether it's like uh just any like small website that has any kind of user contributions to it it seems like such an unnecessary burden
0: well i mean first of all i don't know if i agree with this one yet i'm not with gdpr i was on board right with this one like omar said we just kind of learned about this today uh so we're going to read more about it but my view on this is i don't think it's unreasonable as long as we have but i'm against copyright in general but as long as we have some copyright And the legitimate legal owner of a piece of, you know, content is somebody just to have it all over the Internet uh, and have these billion dollar companies like Facebook profiting from it. You know, when a clear way to filter exists, as YouTube has demonstrated, like for years now, it it clearly doesn't add up. It, it, It can clearly be controlled and it's clearly costing money to the content owners.
1: Right? I don't know. Y- yes, but there's already systems in place to take down the copyrighted content. like oh, take couple... down claims that. those don't work time. though. People
0: just keep re-uploading it. It's a
1: joke. But how how, how is this going to work
0: then? How, how I, I don't see how this is going to fix either then. Well, here's how it's going to work. I go to Daily Motion to upload my latest Shark Tank, and it says, eh, "Not your content, bitch." So let me upload it.
1: <laughs> That's how. Uh, look, I, I think I think it's pretty. When somebody's uploading full TV shows to sites like Daily Motion. Or, or like, YouTube knockoff websites. Like, obviously, there's definitely a problem there. Because I think we've all used, like, those ghetto ass websites, like, watch TV shows online, like, like streams of them, where you can easily just search. If you search Google right now for watch, name of show, like, season, and episode number, you'll find, like, a dozen websites with that exact episode and TV show. You can watch, like, pretty easily online. Like, obviously, at that level of of flagrant copyright infringement, I I could see that as a problem that they want to regulate away. But beyond that, I think there's gonna be a lot of collateral damage. Just the way GDPR had a lot of collateral damage as well. We talked a lot about GDPR before, but. Like, the reality is it really impacted small gaming companies. And any kind of regulation like this is really going to impact small guys that they can't afford to have these kind of content ID systems in place. And and then all the power goes more towards the giant, you know, giant websites. And that's the, I don't think it's good for the internet. I, maybe, maybe if these, like, regulations applied for, like, once you have, like, 10 million dollars in revenue or 100 million dollars in revenue you know what that's a good starting point i think because if you make 100 million dollars a year in revenue you're a big enough website they can afford some kind of anti you know some content id system and that's when the law should apply you know it just seems you can't just blanket application for this on literally anyone on the internet you know internet i, I still think the internet the beauty of the internet has always been the fact that it's all these small like Obviously, big websites like Facebook, Google, Twitch, and whatnot are huge, but there are still so many independent websites and independent communities, and that that exist outside of you know these giant corporations. I and mean, I the internet is beautiful for that reason. And and I don't want to take that away. Uh,
0: what a romantic! That's already dying, even without this rule. By the way, every day I think the number of like those communities is just dying, being replaced by um, whether mm-hmm. it's a Reddit sub- subreddit or a Discord server or a Facebook group. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's kind of all those little forums and you know independent sites are all dying anyway. Um, but anyway, uh, to the, back to this. I do think I should be stated it. This passed the European Legislative Committee. Okay. Now that doesn't mean it's law yet. It, now it has to go in front of the entire European Parliament. Okay. So it got through all the committees now. The final vote by the full Parliament is going to happen sometime this year. So it has not happened yet. And I am sure some of the concerns you guys have stated, or more you've stated. Will yeah. we, will be addressed. For example, when they passed the GDPR, they gave over a year um, grace period. You know what I'm saying? So they gave companies yeah. over a year, saying, "Look, this is on this date we're going to start enforcing this. This is what we're going to enforce. So get you know get your systems in place." I am certain they will do the same thing here, where they're not going to just be like, "Okay, tomorrow you got to filter everything. If you can't, you're you're fucked." So all those small companies will have time to find like a third party uh, a vendor for this kind of filtering.
1: Here's another weird problem, too. I'm looking at Article 11. Again, This is maybe we're swaying a little bit away from gaming, too, but Article oh. 11...
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. So that was, that was Article 13. There's another one that passed, which is Article 11, part of the same mm-hmm. directive. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Article 11 says
1: they got a... This thing called a link tax. So when uh, when a company... When you link to a news organization or, like, quote their, uh, their text, you have to pay money. So, like, that's just really bizarre. I, I was, they're targeting Google, where, like, Google has Google News, where they'll show Apple, a link... Apple, Apple News. Apple News, too. They have a headline of a news article and, like, some small text... And if you click in you can click it to go to the website. But just having that link there, the company, have the, like the Google or Apple, have to pay for that, which I guess might make some sense. Cause I'm sure Google News and Apple News makes a lot of money. But like when, like, for example, if mmos.com links to uh, an article, like a news article, like, do we have to pay for that? That just seems really bizarre. Like, I can't link to what I said without paying. Like, do they not want the traffic? Like, why can't I just link to them?
0: That's, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think, um, again, I think they're basically targeting large companies that are just profiting off all the work. Being done by these news sources, right? Like, uh, if you go to Apple News, you can read the full article, right? And there's no there's no ads there, so it's not like whatever whatever company you're, you know, article you're reading is making any money off of you.
1: And this is almost like GDPR as well. Again, I think the biggest problem with GDPR was a lot of the companies didn't know what to, like how to comply with it, and that's why I think one of the reasons Gravity gave for basically shutting off access to Ragnarok in Europe. Like they didn't know how to comply with it because it wasn't explicitly spelled out, right? And this is very vague as well. So apparently Article 11 doesn't even define what what constitutes a link. If, you don't, if, if that word isn't even defined, you're opening yourself to liability because like, it's not clearly
0: explained. It's so not interpret- defined because it's not the full bill. This is just a, yeah. this is just passed a committee that will now hand it to the full parliament and they will decide all the definitions and stuff. This is like a principle, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the scaremongering right now is just that, scam Because what people are reading now is not the final bill. It doesn't take into effect, uh, it doesn't take into account all the little, you know, caveats and exemptions they will in- inevitably put in to, um, you know, not to hurt little, you know, mom and dad sites or whatever.
1: So do, you, do, you, do you think this will impact gaming at all? Because I know I mentioned the pregame. Uh, like, a lot of games like Mabinogi and Final Fantasy XIV, for example, have like, you know, you can put copyrighted music in those games. Like, people can play music in Final Fantasy XIV, for example. Like, using, you know, if you're playing a bard, you can bust out like a like a harp or or a flute, and you can play music in game. And people play uh, very popular anime songs and openings. People play music from Mario. I mean, Final Fantasy specifically says like don't do that, right? Like, will this give like a means for uh, copyright holders to try like monetizing that?
0: Okay, I'm I mean, not sure.
1: In, in theory, probably, but in practice, there's still no way well, to actually. Play it depends
0: that. how it does it. Like, do you have to, you upload like a file? No, so, like... you just play
1: in game. You you, so you you just press buttons in game.
0: No, they can't. There's no way to filter that. But if you upload like a. Uh... An image or uh, audio file, then I, th- I would suspect in sometime in the near future that could be automatically uh, detected.
1: Yeah, I don't know. More more regulations on on, on stuff like this is, is kind of scary. I I just feel like we have pretty good tools in place for you know anti copyright. So I, I just feel like this this gonna open this gonna this gonna disproportionately bad for company. Look, look,
0: look, look. As, as someone who t- pirates entire episode series, okay, entire TV shows, entire seasons, entire series, don't t- don't lie, don't sit there and lie to me and tell me that we already have good copyright protections in place that is a lie that is
1: not true that is true in the West we do have those systems in place Excuse the problem me, I, is hold on hold on. the problem is that when we when you when we watch when you watch pirate TV shows you're downloading them from like Russia or, or somewhere in Africa where these rules don't apply these EU laws don't apply to American web hosts don't apply to Russian companies they don't apply to Asian companies when, you, when you're downloading this content or watching illegal streams online or random TV shows they're almost always done from out of uh, out of Europe out of Western world because they no, know this yeah if I if I'm doing BitTorrent, I'm. Mean, I'm also uploading
0: as I'm downloading, and it's for yeah. I I set mine to 10 kbs to be a good bro, not zero, you know. Um. So I'm I'm uploading TV shows from America.
1: Yeah, and and you and and you're breaking copyright law. And today, they, you're breaking the law. They come after you today. This is not going to yeah, Change, but that. they're not gonna come after me. But, and why would if you're breaking the law, and they're coming after you, and they make a new law. Why would they come after you then? The point is. The minor offenders like you are not going to get targeted anyway. What, well, the people that will get targeted with you, these kind of you t- stated law, we, we, we already
0: had copyright protections in place, and I'm yes, telling you they don't work. We do. So we clearly well, don't
1: have good systems in place. Well, they do; they're just not enforced. To come after small time infringers doesn't well, make any sense.
0: Whatever, whatever it is, it's not enforced. So it doesn't. We don't. We do not have good systems in place because they but don't most work.
1: Most of these piracy websites are out of Europe anyway. They're out of America, and this this law is not going to change that. All right, it's only going to screw over small companies in Europe. Just like the GDPR did and at the end of the day it's it's just gonna hurt the small fish uh,
0: uh i mean i don't know i think that's that's a very simplistic take but we can read more about it and talk more about it um
1: later yeah yeah, yeah we'll learn more about that because we i i just learned about this article 13 now no, I, I do look forward to reading more about it but damn those pesky europeans really trying to ruin the internet
0: i should link this too uh one of our viewers good viewers has linked us this this is like one of those uh internet Atlantic petitions. yeah, yeah. So if you want to be an e-activist and try to uh save the hashtag save the internet
1: you can be this kind of activist you know it feels it feels good to be an armchair activist you know it's like you, you watch a video on like some some children suffering in africa you watch a documentary and you go ha you know i did my part i watched that documentary and i felt for them all right time to go play some overwatch time to play some League. you know time to play some world of warcraft like it's a nice armchair activism going on real real talk 100 percent honesty from everyone in chat right now during the whole uh what was it net neutrality debate and the entire internet went wild over that shit. Did anyone actually call their congressman? I didn't. I sure as fuck didn't. I know, i thought you didn't. Anyone in our chat, did any of you call your congressman to say, vote against, you know, vote to protect net neutrality? Did, you, did anyone actually do that? Because it was all over Reddit. It was all over basically every website on the internet. I'm curious if anyone in the chat did their part. Even like this level of activism, actually calling your, your, your congressman. I, I didn't do it. I was too lazy. I'm curious if uh, our fellow, okay, Ethel wrote a physical letter. I wow. can respect that. Uh, we are uh, we got we got a few i did Oh yeah. we got a few we got a few activists in here
0: we got a few Mental adults in a nope
1: shame on you oh, yeah it is shame on us obviously i, I do it there's it's it's remarkable because like all you have to do is i like, pick up a like you just print one letter out and send it to it it literally costs you 35 cents or just calling them is only a minute of your time but despite that most people still didn't do it eff member I I can respect that. I can respect the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They 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 do a lot of good on the internet. Almost every time there's some weird like lawsuit over uh, stuff on the internet, it's usually the EFF protecting the little guy. So much respect for that. That's I, an organization <laughs> I want to I want I eventually get around to protecting supporting. I like Birdman's comment. I killed my congress. Hashtag <laughs> 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 Congresswoman is evil Republican. So she got paid by the lobbyists to vote with Pie. RIP. Ajit Pie that guy that guy's like one of the most hated people in the world now but despite all the fear mongering nothing has happened yet and hopefully it stays that way we'll see what happens in the because it just recently those rules uh you know disappeared we'll see if anything happens with uh net neutrality and if it affects our gaming at all if i have to like pay money to be able to play games at faster speeds like better ping, i'm gonna be pissed off i don't think that's gonna happen
0: you're gonna be you're gonna be fortnite on your phone in the future that's it that's the only choice Right, I, yeah. Before we move on, though, I do want to watch this two-minute video uh, that this this um, site has. Let's see what it is. Here we go, boys. Let's hear it. Take
1: a
2: look. A lot of platforms are totally not affected. Ich zähle Facebook und Twitter und YouTube dazu. Kann das aber rein rechtlich. Im Grunde so nicht. I feel that the criticism hasn't been really balanced and not based on the actual text we've proposed. That's why all these claims of censorship, upload filters, and link sacks are all a total exaggeration. Content ID is not so expensive as people they are, they are talking Audible Magic, for example, to identify uh, 10,000 songs, uh, uh, they have to pay uh, 400, uh, uh, 500 bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so expensive uh, at all. Hashtag copyright directive creation of a neighboring right and automated filtering of content put online. A great step forward.
0: I love the music in the background. It's so, like, so dramatic. dramatic. I love it.
2: Quand vous concluez des, des licences, c'est pareil quand vous concluez un accord avec Radio France. Il vous faut des outils techniques. Vous êtes excellent. Je vous prends votre exemple, Radio France, où vous nous déclarez à la minute les œuvres que vous diffusez. N'importe quel jingle est identifié. C'est ça qu'on demande à la, une plateforme comme YouTube.
1: All right, there you go.
0: Hashtag save your internet, hashtag delete
1: article 13. All right. I I do want to just say the one thing is that every time something comes up that threatens the internet, you know, whether it's uh, this directive, whether it's uh, GDPR, whether it's uh, the net neutrality, I do think the internet, people, especially like nerds like us, people that play video games all day, I feel we kind of fit into that group. People spend all the time on the PC. We get a little overly cautious And, and we typically blow things out of proportion especially with net neutrality, for example. I mean, obviously nobody is voting to d- destroy the internet. I mean, the way SaveYourInternet.eu, you know, explains this is that the, the members of Parliament in Europe are voting to destroy the internet. Like, really? Is that is that what they're voting on? I mean, I'm sure they, there's a rationale why they're doing it. And I, I mean, it still seems like a bad idea to me, but I, I just don't want to exaggerate as, like, to destroy the internet. It's not good. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to see it, but I don't think you can frame the other guy's argument as they want to destroy the internet or some really nefarious thing, you know? But hopefully, you know, we'll we'll learn more about it and talk more about it when we. Learn I gotta more.
0: say though, they were, they were kind of deceptive in this video about one part at the beginning when they're talking to that guy. He's like, uh, "I think you know, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube will be covered, but I'm not sure." It's and then they, they're trying to frame him, right? But he's just saying he wasn't. He's like, that, "That's up to the European Justice, whatever, to like you know yeah. determine." It's not his role. He doesn't know because it's not his job to know that. So why? Like, they're asking him a question. He's answering like, "This is not my job." It's this department that's going to handle that. And they're like, see? He's, like, lying to you. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> that was kind of funny.
1: All right. All right. Let's, let's move along to something a little more exciting, all right? A little more exciting on the MapleStory 2 front, all right? I find oh, this pretty please. exciting. We know now when uh, MapleStory 2 is beginning closed beta 2. It's starting on July 18th. And it'll be running through August 1st. And it's actually the MMORPG I am most looking forward to this year. And I've probably been most looking forward to for a while, honestly. Probably, like, for the last few years, this is the game I've been looking forward to. Quite a bit. And uh, you know, I'm probably going to play the Closed Beta 2 that much only because it's there will be a wipe. But I'm hoping Open Beta uh, rolls around pretty soon. Uh, on this round of beta testing, they're going to be doing uh, their first their Battle of Royale game mode called King Royale. But that's only on July 20th to July 22nd. So only for those uh, that one weekend. But I- I'm looking forward to playing this. And I really hope Mabel Story 2 lives up to like what I saw in the Closed Beta 1. If, if, if there's a lot more mini-games and stuff to do, I think MapleStory Story 2 could be a lot of fun. Because... The one thing I feel like MMORPGs are really missing and they've been missing for a long time is a sense of like... It might be a little hard to put into words. Maybe you can, maybe you can help me out and see if you agree with me. But when I play an MMORPG, I want more than just rating. I want more than just like these core systems. I, I want to I log into a game and be in that world for five hours, three hours, however long I'm playing. Right? I, I want to be in that world. I want a reason to stay in that world. I, I want things to do, like a lot of things to do. And I feel like too, too many MMORPGs, what you can do in Bless Online, right, is you just grind to max level and do PvP. What you do, like, your, your paths are so predefined. Uh, games like WoW and Final Fantasy XIV, I have a few more things to do, a few more bells and whistles. But ultimately, I want to get lost in an MMORPG, and something I haven't done in a long time. I, I, to a degree, I've had the experience in, in Final Fantasy XIV because I've played with friends, and we can find things to do. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing that hope to a degree MapleStory 2 because of all the mini games. Because a lot of the mini games in MapleStory 2 are very much Mario Party-esque. So it's a game you can kind of play to level up. And then when a couple of friends are online, maybe you all play uh, some of the random mini games together. You just do other things together in the game. And and, and it just... I want to play an RPG for more than just the core combat. It, you know, And I feel like games have kind of forgotten... RPGs have kind of forgotten about that. It's really only World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV that has that to a degree. Where you have different facets of the game beyond just grinding and raiding, the pet collecting, the mount collecting, the the cosmetics, the emotes, the characters, and just just it's something. Because if I want to play a game, the real talk. If I want to play a game, like I want to play a game to play the game. If this makes any sense, I'm gonna play Overwatch. I'm gonna play League of Legends. I'm gonna play Battle Right. Uh, uh, maybe even like Fortnite. Like if I want to play a game, those are the games I play. When I play Final Fantasy XIV. Outside of the windows where I'm literally just like hardcore, tryhard raiding. And that's the minority of my time spent in these games. I'm there for the experience of the living world. I'm there to see other people, to make connections, to play this game. And maybe like having the background while I, while I do other things as well in that game. It just... That's what an M R P G should be for me. And I feel like we've, we've really lost that. Thoughts? Well, the problem with that is... Uh,
0: there's a couple problems. One, uh, as uh, Derpy in the chat said... The problem is so many of the social features now have moved outside of the client, right, with Discord. So I think yes. what what, you're, what you said is true. An MRPG has to be more than the sum of its parts. And I think the best way to do that would be to uh, – a few a few games are trying this. They to, they're trying to integrate Discord into their game. So somehow, first of all, a game should be – like should launch as a, a windowed or borderless window. Full screen should not even be an option, okay? Like uh, the graphics settings should be pretty low, right? So that yeah. it, it kind of is seamless with the rest of your desktop. So you, you can have the chat open. You can have, you know, the browser open. Because uh, if you have to launch it and then you step away from everything else, like your social circle, like your just
1: your Discord or whatever you use, it's not going to work. Um, so okay. not- Drop, yeah. Drop both. Do you want a game that ev- what every other game does? Pretty steep requirement. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Because one example uh, is I think what Final Fantasy fourteen does pretty well is that like for example if i'm if i'm on discord with my buddies right and we want to do something right maybe play a game right sometimes sometimes you know you don't all want to focus on a game so like you can play an more PG together but if you're just leveling an more pg it's too like stressful maybe it's like too much like focus right but you want to just do something with your friends that's that's pretty low stress you know i, I go on the foundation 14 and run a like a roulette or a dungeon with some friends because it's very casual and the fact that dungeons are really easy kind of works well for the casual like dungeon run and you can do it to get like uh, level up your old characters and stuff while you're talking about some other shit like it's 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 actually surprisingly fun to do that in the background. And it's not some and, and as stupid as that sounds right you really can't play Overwatch in the background of a conversation you can't or if you do you just you just you just literally not you really can't do either thing pretty well because you're focusing on the game you're not focusing on the conversation it just feels weird to do it with your friends there. But Overwatch is fun. Don't get me wrong. And hardcore rating games is fun too. But you really can't do both at the same time. I mean, a casual experience of doing that while, like, you can, you can, you can just do these side things in MMORPGs while you know doing other shit with your friends. I think that that actually ends up working really well for an because that's something you really can't do in, in any other kind of game. What other game can you play while also on Discord with your buddies, for example? I mean, that, that's only one facet of an that I like. I mean, you do need the hardcore rating as well, which is great, and, and the customization, and everything else. But that's, I think. A strength of MRPGs that you don't see anywhere
0: else. I think somehow MRPGs have to hire better or more modern UX designers. For example, in Final Fantasy Fourteen, right, the, the launcher and the account creation, right? The square Enix account and stuff, automatically disqualifies it from ever being like a, a mainstream good game in my in my eyes. Wait, they, Final Fantasy fourteen is disqualified yeah. being a mainstream why? Be- because the client is so wonky, the account creation is so wonky. You know well, account you, creation is wonky. You yeah. know if you want to create a, a trial? You have a totally different launcher? Really? Yeah,
1: that's pretty bizarre.
0: Like, like the the mental like disease in the mind of the creators here are just so it's so awful. Like you, I couldn't imagine getting like a, a friend of mine who's like not already like if you're already steeped in gaming and like you watch like eight hours of anime a day, sure, whatever, you you'll figure it out. But like if you're just a normal guy, you play like Call of Duty on Xbox, and then you're like, hey, come try this game with me, and then you give him like you know, you, 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 it's just a mess. a fourteen there? They
1: won't figure it out. I agree, it's yeah, a mess. So, the design there is definitely not good. So the problem I, actually
0: is not the game. It's not the gameplay. It's not the graphic. It's all, no. all the shit. It's the UI. It's the, the process of opening the game.
1: No. But even if that was more accessible, right? I think the PG genre would be more popular. Yeah, accessibility. You all that stuff up. Accessibility like, is accessible. first.
0: It's number one. If you can't get that right, just write them, I write them off. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not... I'm not interested in that.
1: No, but here's the thing. Even if Final Fantasy XIV and World of Warcraft, and MMORPGs as a genre are more accessible, I don't think it would solve the problem. of like... I, these games they, they still need... Like more things to do. You like again, the allure for Final Fantasy fourteen and MMORPGs for me for the longest time has been always like the entire package. Rating is a fun part of it. Uh dressing up your character is a fun part of it. Hanging out with people is a fun part of it. But it's really the whole package again that, that really separates MMORPGs from other genres. And we do and, and, and the um, the reason I brought this up the Maple Story too, is I think Maple Story Two has done a great job of adding these like mini-games in there and like customization options of basically players can design their own, like literally their own outfits in the game like completely their own outfits you can actually have uh like you can import like art assets into the game to make your own clothing you can make literally clothing from any anime any tv show anything in game you can literally upload images into the game and use them for for helmets and body pieces so this is a very creative part of MapleStory 2 that doesn't exist in any other mrpg where player like people will play these kinds of games strictly to basically play with the crafting and do all this other cool shit in game that has nothing to do with the core combat and you won't see that in World of Warcraft or Farmvity. But, but here's, four. The one. here's the problem. Here's the
0: problem. The players won't get that far
1: if if the if it's not intuitive. To get. You're right. I'm, I'm not dismissing because what you're saying is 100 percent true. Like yes, I agree. All that shit needs to be fixed as
0: well. So until you, before you put up and MapleStory 2, before they add like you know uploading uh, the, uh, skins or whatever, what they should do is make it so it's more intuitive to to go through the quest log. Okay, here's a quick question. I had a I had a friend of mine play. MapleStory two, they played. I think MS one back in the day, and they got lost in that first town because you have to go in the building to talk to the next NPC. Yeah, you can't just grind; you have to do quests right away. Yeah, and and you know, they just kind of walking and they walked Then they left town. They killed a few monsters and like I don't know. They kind of like they kind of. I, I walked in. They were like on YouTube. You know, what I'm saying with the, with the game on the other monitor, yeah, and they they, t- t- they kind of lost interest. Like they don't, they don't know what's going on. So you gotta fix that before you can do the more creative and
1: you know social and experimental stuff. Well, again, what you're pointing out, is think, is a much broader problem with MMORPGs. I mean, I'm talking more specifically with the, with the systems we have already in place. This this still needs to be fixed. Like, for existing MMORPG players, to keep them around longer, I feel like games have lost that. But I do agree that the genre... Honestly, anyone listening, I challenge you to maybe, like, boot up World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy XIV and make a new character and let you, let you like, you, maybe your cousin who's never played an MMORPG or little sister or brother or family or somebody who's never played an MMORPG just see how long that they will play WoW, Guild Wars 2, From any of these games before quitting. I really don't think anyone can get into these games. If, they, if you didn't grow up playing an like, MRPG, it's very hard for these games to be your first. Even Guild Wars 2 are, like to be your first MRPG because they're actually pretty mind numbingly boring early on. The whole process of grinding quests, although Guild Wars 2 does it better than other MRPGs in their sense of achievement, it's still just done so bizarrely and it's just. It just seems so weird to do the main story quest for Final Fantasy XIV. Like your first instinct in these games is to go explore and do what you want to do. And if you leave town to explore, you know, good luck finding your quest location again. It just it's really bizarre. And that's one of the things that I think really hurting PC and more RPGs is how inaccessible they are.
0: Yeah, imagine like they built this beautiful world, right? And then they tell you the world is yours, explore it yourself, right? And then the mm-hmm. first thing they do is clip your wings. And they, okay, you got to follow this line we made for, made for you. It's just I don't know.
1: I, I i love that picture i linked for uh, for maple story 2 and again yeah, what you can do what you can do and again, like some random person just literally took my picture from uh from twitter and just slapped it on their maple story 2 character like this is literally one aspect another aspect which i absolutely love i know uh has probably done one of the first games to do it you can compose your own music so in mad Benoghi, you can just make your own Bards you can sit in town and play music and you can do the same thing in MapleStory 2 and you can actually you know which is awesome. You can just literally play your own tunes in town. So when you're walking around, you can hear like, oh shit, that music is familiar as fuck. Where's it from? Oh, that's the, and that's intro to Your Lie in April. Oh wait, that's the, that's the intro to Anohana. That's intro to Stein's Gate. You know, you can recognize these very familiar tunes. Oh shit, he's playing Gerudo Valley, you know? And it's really remarkable because I was playing Final Fantasy XIV like a week or two, or two weeks ago or so. And I remember there's this person in town is just playing music and i i just sat down there and listened to like the songs they were playing on there as a bard and i asked hey like can you play uh like anything from mario and they play this one of the one of the very iconic songs in mario i'm like whoa can you play like something from doki doki literature club and they play something from there i'm like holy shit that's awesome and think i'm trying to learn these other songs so, like I, they're on my friends list now and like when they learn a new song they like they pm oh i just learned this song come check it out and like oh shit let's go it's like that experience, right? It can only happen in an more Where else can you have this kind of interaction, where you're kind of discovering these things in game and learning how to play this like virtual instrument? Like, you know, like it. It, it just, it's such an interesting experience, and like that, that feeling can only happen in the more PGs. Well, why I
0: think those are magical. You say that, but uh, as we saw a funny headline on the Verge uh, yesterday. Do you remember that? It's a bit, it's a bit bizarre. You can go ahead and share that. Okay, so I'm gonna show this to you guys and. I thought it was absurd at first too, uh, but do you know what they, the guy actually makes a decent, a decent, not great point. Okay. to so his article, Fortnite has the most interesting video game story in years. Okay. Now that's quite the claim, right? Uh, because as you guys might not know or know, Fortnite has basically no story. Um, and by, by the way, this captures my, uh, version of my ideal form of storytelling. Okay. So in Fortnite, what they do is once in a while, the maps will slightly change. like. It, uh, a few weeks ago, they had that whole meteor thing. What mm-hmm. on the, if you looked up in the uh, sky, you saw a meteor, and every like week it would get closer, it would get bigger on, in the sky, and then people theorized where it was going to hit. People thought it was going to hit the, uh, the 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 twisted towers, right, the, the urban area, mm-hmm. but it, it, it hit somewhere else. And then more recently, now they had a rocket ship on this on this uh, castle. Uh, apparently, and then if you were on at a certain time, they told you ahead of time uh, when it was going to launch. And the way you found out is, um, oh. Akuma thank Shogun, you, Akuma yep. Shogun, which thank you. love. You, thank you. So anyway, they had a uh, they had timers, uh, countdown clocks, in random TVs scattered across the map, right? And that's how mm-hmm. you knew when to be online. And if you were online in game at that particular time, you saw the rocket ship launch and, and crash. Uh, but it only happened it. once; it's not gonna happen again. Um, so that's that's pretty. It's 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 like background lore rather than in your face dialogue, cutscenes, bullshit. You know. So I, I do. <laughs> I do like that.
1: And to be honest, that kind of storytelling is actually pretty... I mean, the headline is kind of pretty ridiculous at first glance because obviously, the, you know, the guy, the author even starts the article saying, I, I couldn't name a single character in Fortnite. I'm not able to tell you anything about the lore or the plot or even really explain where the game takes place. Yet somehow, Epic's multiplayer shooter has produced the most arresting video game narrative I've experienced in some time. And it's only getting stronger as the game evolves. So that's a pretty powerful message considering a game that's a Battle Royale game has this kind of interesting background lore. But like that kind of storytelling I think is very powerful and actually more useful Oftentimes, than the, the storytelling that World of Warcraft, and Final Fantasy XIV does, like pushing Well, that's really not, well, not bad.
0: Well, that's not bad. It doesn't. There's no like in-game cutscenes. There's no like, in-game like forced dialogue or anything. Yeah, Warcraft. yeah.
1: But that that kind of storytelling is, you know, it's it's very like literally. Just you have to read the text, to understand it. I, I know. I still think one of the most memorable experiences in World of Warcraft, and really MMORPG storytelling, right, has been something like. When the gates are on, garage were opening. Like That's more yeah, of like that was, yeah. that, that. was it's amazing. All these years later, I still remember that. And and really, I just felt like this is so cool. Like, what's going to happen when that happens? When, when this door opens, right? It was this this server wide event that everyone was working towards. It to unlock new content. And we we recently watched that recently. It's been like a year or so. There's a really beautiful documentary on Final Fantasy XIV. Now, if if you're interested in in, in gaming documentaries, i maybe I'll drop a link to it. But uh, it, it basically shows the rise and fall of Final Fantasy XIV 1.0. Now the game was really shit back in the day, and they re- relaunched it. But basically, they, what happened was the world of Final Fantasy XIV ended when 1.0 shut down. And then Yoshipi took over, and then they remade the game as the Realm Reborn. And, and the process of shutting the game down was really an event in the lore. And it became like, you saw this like, basically this giant uh, meteor, Daluman, with, with, with what, what's his name in it? Uh, with Bahamut coming down to destroy the world. And it was like slowly happening before the servers came down, and everyone was with really creepy music playing in the background. No matter where in the world you are, the world became all fucked up, and the music was really like grisly and scary and spooky. And it really just just watching that, like, holy shit, like this is such an amazing story. Like, Like, even the game sucked ass, which is why you know it shut down back then. But like, this the way of ending the game and shutting it down. Like they didn't just turn the servers off and oh we'll go relaunch in a few like give us like five months to fix this shit and relaunch it. No, it became a part of the story, and that part of the story carried over into Final Fantasy 14 and Realm Reborn. And that part of Final Fantasy XIV is probably the most interesting of the entire game. I mean, I played the entire story from start to finish and I read everything, in uh you know uh, up to the current content in the game, and and nothing even comes close to how much like how much more intense the the shutdown of 1.0 was you know, that was, if you haven't seen the documentary about the rise and fall of Final Fantasy XIV, if you enjoy gaming documentaries, it's worth watching. I'll drop a link to it in a second. But that part of the documentary was very gripping. I never got to experience it, but, like, it really stuck with me. Like, that form of storytelling where players feel involved in the way the world is shaped is, I would love to see that in more RPGs again. Like, it just, I don't think you can get away with this, like, JRPG style storytelling in MRPG. Like, if I want to play a JRPG, I'll play a a PS4 JRPG or something, or I'll I'll read a book, you know. I want something to be interactive. I want want to be a part of something live like that. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? Actually, uh, the upcoming Bioware game, Anthem, uh,
0: has said they're going to have something interesting like this, where, uh, okay, so Anthem is basically like a shooter MMO, I think like Destiny 2. Basically, the way it's going to work is there's going to be like a report in the game of like an upcoming major like snowstorm. And Mm -hmm. every day for the next week, Leading up to it, it's going to get like snowier and snowier and colder or whatever, right? And then on that one day, there's going to be this huge storm. The maps are going to be different. And it's only going to last that one day and then whatever. And then it's going to be gone.
1: So that's pretty cool. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we need more shit like that. And I think Fortnite proves how gripping it can be. And we've seen it in the past work, but it's just really bizarre that we haven't seen like World of Warcraft do anything quite as like intense as like the Gates Ron garage. I mean uh, why does, it just seems like this more story story maybe of course more like effort like do I don't know
0: does um does FF14 have anything like that besides the 1.0 reborn thing
1: no there's no it's, it's, it's actually really sad because I feel like they could do a lot with it and honestly the one of the magical experiences about Final Fantasy 14 and again any high ESO as well Guild Wars 2 it is just the music is actually so enchanting in these games and it's done really well and like, some scenes are just so powerful with the music. like You can really tell a really good story in, in MMORPGs, but it just feels like the opportunity is almost squandered to a degree. Where it is done in this very rigid storytelling. Where some people like the story, other people don't like it. But you, you never, you're never, never really truly part of the story. Which is, the amazing experience was with 1.0 shutting down. But the way that you described in the Anthem, like nothing like that has really... I mean, they do events, obviously, but nothing feels like this is like a once-in-a-lifetime like thing in the game to do, you know? there's nothing like that even if they even do like like temporary content like can you imagine if wow or 14 or Guild wars 2 like okay uh, on, on this one day only like fucking death lord archimon is revisiting azeroth and you have one day to fight him and you, you have one chance to fight him with your character and you have you know he's only there for one hour so it's like nobody can even like make guys for it because it's literally that fight is only in the game for one hour so by the time somebody does the fight and tries recording a guide? It's too late. You, know, you can't watch any guides. Everyone gets one shot with a group to beat, you know, this boss. And if you get, it, you get maybe you get like a title or something or a cosmetic or something, right? This one encounter, this is your one chance to do it. That that alone would be an like, a magical experience. You would talk about with your friends. Oh, I was there when when this guy revisited Azeroth, or when this boss appeared in the game. He's only there for that one hour, and I was there and I beat him. They can make it hard too to make it like a, I it doesn't be like crazy difficult either. But having like like these temporary this this fleeting content gives it more meaning makes it more interesting i think and just it just feels bizarre that you know we don't we don't see stuff like that you like you have an like, event dungeon sometimes so there's some events in games where you know you can run this dungeon three times a day for one day or something it's never like meaningful or interesting but it just feels like a squandered opportunity to make these games feel more meaningful
0: uh yeah i know uh, it's been a while since uh you know i think wow had a, a uh there was some event around the burning portal too like different servers opened mm. the portal at different times depending on you know the contribution of other players and yeah yeah those was, was good good times
1: and i mean, think we'll mention uh several artists entertainment games did that i don't recall I, I've, I've played a little bit of adventure quest worlds back in the day but not too much and a little bit of aq but never like crazy amounts but like I, I, if they did if the games do stuff like that i guarantee you that's a very memorable experience you know that's that's something you talk about with your friends years later you No, know, i was there for that i mean people that played Final Fantasy 14 back in the day that were there when the server shut down like that's a memorable experience for them it's a part of, like their. Their gaming history, like that's like it sticks out with them, you know. I mean, it just it, events. It, 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 you can call it an event as well, but like I feel like the term events in the have really lost their meaning. Events now in any MRPG are just marketing gimmicks, right? Oh, it's like a double XP weekend, guys. Oh, you have like this one extra mini game in the Gold Saucer. Oh, you have a chance to get this one emote by talking to this NPC in this event. That's not an event. That's nothing. That's a nothing burger. That's no event. You know, like, with Final Fantasy XIV, they did the Valentine's Day event. You do this, like, you do this one silly minigame, and you get, like, a really cute emote, right? It's, it's a great emote, by the way, but, like, that's not an event. You know, there was no, nothing that went into that, really. I just, I talked to an NPC, I I, I clicked on some nonsense, and I got an emote. You know, it's it's got to be something. Like, at least, maybe nostalgia speaking here, but with, with Ultima Online, I remember pretty, pretty specifically, there was an event happening in the Britannia graveyard where uh, all these undead monsters spawned. And we were there there were there was like hundreds of players on the screen at once and the game became so laggy that like we basically died due to lag but i remember like holy shit this was an event this was not like your regular old bullshit double xp weekend event there was there was gms in the game spawning monsters spawning bosses like some some never before seen shit was happening and we were there to experience it and i still remember it vividly because we were there this was something special and i remember like you know when when the boss that they spawned died it dropped this really rare blue gauntlet and this was back when we used to sell a lot of stuff on Ultima Line on eBay. And these gauntlets that dropped in the game were worth $400. 400 real-life bucks. And if I picked them up, I would have sold them for that price. I know I would be able to sell them on eBay for that price. And I remember at one point we actually had these gauntlets. And what happened was the, it was the servers were so laggy. You move like one frame and then you lag for five seconds. You move one frame, you lag. And I picked up those fucking gauntlets. They were in my inventory. And there was like this level one fucking lizard man next to me and smacking me. I'm like, oh, I gotta get the fuck away from this lizard man because I can't attack it because it's too laggy. And then Disconnected. I'm trying to log back into the game. It's like laggy as fuck. I log back in, the level one lizard man killed me, and there goes my fucking four hundred dollars gauntlets. Some other asshole probably looted off my body, and I missed a chance to get free four hundred dollars. But I still remember the event, not because of necessarily missed opportunity, but because it was something special. You know, it wasn't just another garbage event.
0: How many? So I know it's hard to remember now, especially because the resolutions back then were smaller. Uh, how many people do you think were in that vicinity during that event? I'm trying to remember, it, like remember. Unreal Four is having a hard time with a hundred concurrent players now, and they're just now patching it to have like a viable frame rate and everything. Uh, we know PUBG launched with a terrible, you know, server tick rate and everything. Uh, and it's amazing to think that back in nineteen ninety eight, they could handle, you know, a uh, thousand players on us on one shard, like one. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it wasn't a thousand players on one map, like one, you know, on the same screen or anything. But, but I mean, Britain Bank on a on an average night had at least. What, at least 40? 20,
1: 30, 30, yeah. 30, 40 at least, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't laggy at all. And it wasn't so laggy.
0: B- so how does it say they did it back then, but I can't do it today? It's so bizarre to me.
1: Yeah, you log into uh, Bless, and you try going to the main city. Uh, Enjoy your 5 FPS gaming on an awful experience. And, yeah, it's, it's probably doesn't have more than 100 players there either. So it's just, it's just bizarre that we can't fit that many players on the screen without having terrible lag.
0: Okay, so I'll, let me find a screenshot
1: here. So this is it 1998, is- boys, okay? Uh, let me just... I mean, not to, like, throw shit at, like, World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy XIV events, right? But when, when I think the word event, right, I'm thinking the gates are on garage opening. I'm thinking, like, some massive world-changing shit. Like, most of the time, the events in these games, the holiday events, yeah, they're, like, not bad. Like, sometimes Square Enix will do, like, some kind of mini game, and you get in mode for it. But, like, it's always an afterthought. Like, oh, oh, shit, you know, the event is ending, like, Thursday. I better go grind that garbage out right now. It's never something, oh, shit, this event, let's go do it. No, it's never like that. It's it's never been like that for like as long as I can remember. I'm never like, oh shit, this event's going on. Fuck yeah, let's go do it. It's oh shit, I gotta go do it before it runs out just to get that emote, emote permanently. I'm never excited to do it. But yeah, look at this screenshot in, in yeah. Ultimate Online. Holy crap! Look, look, look how many people are,
0: just, and this is this is literally one screen. Okay, this is and this is an 800 by 600 screen. If you count everyone in the, in the in this whole like town, it's way over, uh, way over multiples of like a Fortnite match. And remember, each of these people can, can mount or dismount. They can, uh, you know. Cast spells. They can, you know, they have different weapons, inventories. They can chat in real time. Um, so I, I get it. that three D obviously probably makes things way more complicated in physics, right? But it's this isn't as if like these are um, simple uh, mobile, you know, characters.
1: These are, you know, there's a lot going on with each character. There's a lot of possibilities on the screen. There's forty people on that roof. That I means there's at least more than forty on the ground. There's at least hundred people on that screen right there that yeah. you just linked us. And again, this is this is happening. With with mounts, with these, every character can wear like any cosmetic they want. There's a, there's a yeah, it's 2D, but there's a lot going on here. 1998 this, boys. Right, this, is, this is probably from 2000. Yeah, I, I know, but it, it, was like in, it was like this. It was like this 98 too. I remember. yes, it was the same thing. Yes, it, you had you had these kind of numbers, and like so the game, this would this would not be enough for the game to lag. Like this would be a really busy day at the bank, all right? But like during an event, you had multiples of this on this like in the same area, and that's what would create mega lag in the game. But this many pillars on the screen was not like enough to really make the game lag at all. So at least during that event that we were in, it was at least like uh, or at least like five times, six times this number. Which is pretty crazy for an event. The good old days. Yeah, it, it just it just really is sad that even like Terra, if you're in a busy place and just still fucking lags. Like, come on, it's 2018, boys. We can't have like we can't have players in the same screw that are lagging.
0: There's a tech it's, law. There's a law in tech or something, I don't know what it's called. Maybe if any tech people in the chat, they'll know. But uh, you know, as like the as Intel makes better hardware, like CPUs uh software like windows just kind of bloats to to fill up the extra hardware power so nothing actually improves because now the windows developers have uh more leeway so instead of being a t- making a tight product that's you know really refined they just have more time to like you know slap dash it and you know have it bloaty
1: I mean just to let you know how bad it is too like it's it's pretty inexcusable right cuz I, I know Fantasy fourteen did the they add this new Eureka Zone, some other content there. It makes 180 players or something can fit into this new zone. And you all hunt like bosses together or some bullshit, right? And 180 players in the same screen in Final Fantasy XIV, it creates some garbage lag. It becomes very laggy with that many players on the screen. And that's 180. That's only a bit more than what you're seeing on the screen right now. And this is a you know a relatively new MMORPG built on supposedly modern-day netcode. But it can't handle 180 players on the screen at once. To the degree where what happens is actually... When you have 100, even like, use it 120 on the screen at once, fighting the boss, because other 60 players are whacking off somewhere else, right? So with 120 players on the screen, what happens when you're there fighting the boss is that half the players disappear on the screen because the game client can't even render all those players at once, so they literally disappear on your screen, which is really bizarre because like the play, you should be seeing other players here, but most of them are gone. And what happens is the boss disappears as well. So what you're doing is I'm I'm lobbing fireballs at the boss in Final Fantasy XIV, and he just suddenly disappears off my screen. He becomes untargetable and disappears. But other players are whacking at something, and there's always coming from somewhere. But it's he, not even on my screen anymore. I have to like, move around, like, and then hope he reappears on my screen so I can retarget him. And again, how, how is this happening in modern day MRPG? There aren't there aren't thousands of players. There's 120 players here. This is not like I can, this is not some crazy you know thing. I, I just don't understand why they can't have it working with 120 players on the screen at once. Like this is not this is not is it is it really that much to ask for? Okay, so, okay. A few people in
0: chat have been talking about this, so I think it's a big story that we should get to now. Okay. So, Ashes of Creation, guys. Um, I think last month uh, has said that they now have over a hundred people working on uh, the staff, and it's going to mm-hmm. be the biggest MMORPG, uh, I guess, in a long time. I'm not sure yeah. what the exact claim was. Let me
1: find the claim. I think it's the biggest MMORPG in development. Right? In development. Okay. I oh, guess that. A, I think that was their phrase. I thing.
0: guess not counting Star Citizen. <laughs> I guess just, not because there's is way more.
1: So yeah, this, yeah, the story is they have now over a hundred people working on the game. Though so that number is a little bit is not counting everyone their San Diego office. I think it counts all their um, their freelancers in Malaysia, as well, Philippines, or Malaysia and no, in France and Malaysia as well. So, uh, but it's still it's still a really impressive number, and they're actually trying they're trying to hire twenty one new people for their San Diego office as well so they're hiring looks like they've they they just hired a few new team members they hired um michael roca senior gameplay programmer formerly disney daybreak uh gret crabtree what a last name crabtree that's a pretty badass last name i think senior I've seen a software engineer from uh, daybreak uh, devin lafontaine also from daybreak basically they're hiring um four or five say they hired seven new people all from daybreak games wow. they're hiring away quite a few people from daybreak and there's clearly some something was happening at Daybreak, right? They were exploring a possible sale, with the with the Russian sanctions on you know, on uh, Columbus Nova, the company that owns Daybreak. So it looks like there's there's stuff happening at Daybreak, and looks like Intrepid Studios is hiring away a lot of the talent. So you know these are these are real people that worked on real games, you know. So wh- I think what started definitely is something very sketchy, very sketchy. We we we've, we've kind of you know expl- you know uh, explained our hesitance about backing. Uh, Astro creation for a while now and i'm not going to rush out the back end now even but like they are spending money on hiring real people to work on this game now this is no longer just you know just one guy who's got no what he's doing raising millions on Kickstarter. i mean he's hired quite a few people that have experience making games i mean time will tell if this game ever comes out as promised but there are people working on this and this creates you know a lot of overhead for them i was gonna
0: say this is must this is a huge budget now um uh... And I don't... Obviously, what they co- what they raised on Kickstarter is not going to cover it. So uh, a lot of his... Uh, he's dipping into his own funding. Um, I'm not sure if he has any other funding sources, but um, it's going to be a big budget game. I, I, do, I do believe... So when I were actually discussing um, before the podcast, whether this qualifies as a AAA game. And I think even if it doesn't now, um, based on today's budget, uh, by the time it gets closer to release, I think it will... Past that imaginary threshold, wherever you you know, my, my
1: imaginary threshold for triple A budget is going to be at least fifty million. That's my number. I think any any game that costs fifty million dollars to develop it is it, firmly in the triple A. I, I think I think again, I don't think it's an official number, but most games cost way less than fifty million. Fifty million would be a very expensive game. Obviously, you know, giant games like Star Wars Republic and Grand Theft Auto Five cost multiples of that. But I think you know most games cost less. But they raised like three point three million on Kickstarter. They probably raised uh, maybe that much from private investors as well. I mean, they probably when by the time this comes out, my guess is the whole thing's gonna cost $15-20 million, Is my guess by the time this comes out, at least in some form of playable state. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm okay, trying to uh, find uh, how much they raised total. Uh, let's see if they actually have that number anywhere.
1: Apparently, they're still aiming for um, phase one alpha testing for fourth quarter of 2018. So they're they're gonna have some kind of playable version of this game of Asher Creation to the public. There's been some kind of playtest videos before, but they seem very, like, staged content where you can only do certain things. But they're going to be... Like, once I see videos, or if I play it myself, some kind of, you know, the Phase 1 alpha, and I see, holy shit, there's a real game here, then I'll start getting excited for Ash. Until then, I'm going to reserve my any kind of excitement. I will remain skeptical until then, but if I, until I can play something myself in some kind of, you know, open-world environment and see what, what's actually happening, then I'll get excited. But, you know, it looks like there are... It looks like this. Is the last, July is the last month you can buy access to Alpha One, which is kind of weird because, like, wait, what can I buy Alpha One? Why can't I buy Alpha One when it comes out? Like, what? I, I have to buy it now, you know? But oh, they're not gonna be selling Alpha One access later.
0: It's like the early access, you know. The, the yeah, special but,
1: price runs out. I, I, whatever. But if they, I, I want to play the game when Alpha One comes out. I ain't gonna give them any money right now. But I want to give it. I want to give it the old, you know, college effort. I want to give it the honest try and see what see see what's going on. I still have my reservations about any Kickstarter fund game. I have my reservations about any. Uh, you know, people that make their money in MLMs, but I still want to give it a try. I mean, this guy clearly cares about MMORPGs. So I think the reason you said the, the A discussion came up was um, in the car earlier today. I said, basically, I don't think we're going to get any other big-budget MMORPGs on the PC. I think the era of big-budget PC MMORPGs is dead. I mean, you have games like Star Citizen and this game in development, but we will have no new uh, big-budget games. When I say big-budget, I mean, at least, like, at least like $20 million PC games. I think and more will, will will move more and more towards mobile. We'll have more. I mean, just the success of like PUBG on mobile, has is kind of proves that it just it's huge. It just I don't see even even Final Fantasy, the next Final Fantasy MMO, whenever that might happen. In fact, I don't. Yeah, I think at most, or the Final Fantasy 16, if it comes out on console, that will be the last one on console, and everything after that will be on mobile. But that would be a stretch as well. I mean, the next mainline Final Fantasy game, I think, will be on uh on mobile probably. So actually, uh, speaking
0: yeah. of, uh, uh, I think you mentioned, uh, we mentioned consoles briefly there with Final Fantasy XVI. But uh, I actually got a chance to play Skyforge on PlayStation this week. Uh, it was my very first time playing an MRPG on console. And I have to admit, it worked surprisingly much better than I thought it would. And But now that I think about it, when I first played um, Skyforge on PC, it did strike me as a game uniquely made for uh, console. Uh, it have only a few abilities for each class at a time. Um, and th- th- even the visuals and like kind of look like a, a console style game uh, and, I, I, and it, it works really well it's still like a cheesy game because uh, you kind of one shot all the monsters mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's still easy but I think uh, for being a free game I think we will get uh, it, will, it will get a lot of exposure on uh, the PlayStation Network uh, mm-hmm. it's very easy to find it and just click download but what I did notice is um, things download very slowly on your PlayStation have you noticed that anymore? I feel like I feel like uh, even with a a wired con- connection into my PlayStation, it, it seems to download like a th- at least a quarter at the speed of um, my
1: my PC. I don't know why. Same network. It's probably because it's, it's installing while it downloads, maybe something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's weird. But yeah, I mean, you you, you play Sky? For, I, I've never played an RPG on console yet myself, but you saying it works well is good. I mean, it's it's an action game, so I think it's kind of better suited for it as well. But I I, I couldn't I I could not fathom playing what world of warcraft on the console no, for no, no. that just imagine. seems like so like but what's weird is games like eso has like most of their player base on consoles like i think it's one third xbox one third ps4 one third pc so with most of eso's player base on console like why why doesn't world of warcraft expand to uh console like it seems like a pretty big market Again, World of Warcraft has way more hockeys, I think, than uh, ESO as well. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. I think uh, certain games like ESO were, were designed with consoles in mind,
1: uh, whereas well, Fallout uh, 14 as well is very much a WoW-like experience in terms of hockeys and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But you, even that is on console, and I think you'd be surprised how many people play. Uh, like, you know, it's really to me it seems very surprising because I guess I kind of live. We all kind of live in our own bubbles to so a degree. But a lot of people play these games on consoles, which is, it just seems so unfathomable to me. They want to play and then more RPG on a console, but like it, it's a thing, you know. People don't have good PCs, they play on their consoles. I, I will say this, okay,
0: this, and this this says much about how bad MRPGs have gotten lately the fact that they work on console now. Okay, so while I was playing Skyforge, right, not mm-hmm. once did I even consider ta- A, talking to anybody, B, partying with anybody, uh, C, interacting with another player in any way. You know what I'm saying? Where. Yeah. The reason, in the past, I thought it would be impossible to put an MRPG on console is because, in my mind, I was imagining MRPGs as how they used to be, right? Where you had to party, you had to talk. Hey, for this quest, where do I go? Three, four times in chat until someone answers you, you know. Or if someone's, you know, killing or camping a monster spawn with you, you guys say, Hey, you want to party so we can both get the quest done? But you don't have to do any of that anymore. It was basically a single-player experience for the hours I played. You know, at no point. I wonder how long I have to go until I have to. Actually, I don't even know how to chat with anyone. I don't know if I can chat with anyone on the PlayStation because you never have to anymore. Wait,
1: well, yeah, well so. no, you, with Xbox One, Xbox Live, and stuff—they they've had headsets and stuff for for those games for a long time. Communication sh- isn't really a problem, but I do think—is it okay? Is it, open, again, you, is it open, can I just talk to people next to me? No, no, no probably not. They got to be my friends list or something, right? Yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, but like you said, you never have to talk to other players, and that's again something that's really bizarre and something we lost in, in more PGs, where if you're not talking to anybody, kind of like. What are you? What are you even doing? Like, there's no need to strategize until you get to late game. It just, it just, it's really bizarre to me that every game has pushed all the interactive content and in more on like the 50 hour barrier. It's only after you think 50 hours into a game do you start getting like challenging multiplayer content. Like until you reach like it, it, it's such a meme now too. Like an RMRPG and stuff. Oh, it gets fun on the end game. The end game is fun. What about the rest of the game? Is the rest of the game shit? It just, I don't know. I, I, for example, I didn't really, I didn't have too much fun with Final Fantasy to until late game. Unfortunately. You know, I had fun with WoW in the early game, but that was back in vanilla days. And since I played WoW with Mr. Pandaria, and I got the max level again, I'll tell you what, I had no fun in the early game. It got a little more fun late game, but still. Like, the early game is such a bizarre experience in MRPGs nowadays.
0: I also had a chance to try Destiny 2 this week. Um, mm-hmm. Another very... The the monsters felt very um, like giant um, balloon pinatas. They were, they were like these big scary uh, guys, like monsters. But you—they—they uh, they do so little damage that you can walk up to them and melee everything that comes your way. So the first few levels, I'm only meleeing. I'm—I'm not, I'm not huh. even using my gun. So I walk up to these giant brutes with these big guns and I just knife them. Uh, and I just feel like it's like um, you're, you 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 get trained not to be afraid of these giant monsters. You're like you know—it's—they're like, like a joke, so it's kind of funny. But I will say this about it: the music, production value. And the visuals, like the backgrounds and stuff, is really beautiful. It's really worth – Omar gave me his copy that he got with his Humble Bundle for like 10 bucks or whatever. But it's really Mm. worth just walking through uh, if you have a free copy or something to see the visuals
1: if you have a good PC. Uh, Uh, There's there's only one difficulty in that game as well, right? Yes, you can't change the difficulty. So it is really bizarre that you can't change – you beat the first few levels just literally meleeing giant, giant aliens. Yep. Pretty funny. Somebody in the chat asked, like, how do you plan on playing Alpha 1 for uh, for Astro Creation? I said, yeah, I'll just ask them for, for did, did you buy uh, Alpha 1 access? I said, no, I'm not giving them any money. He said, how are you going to play it then? I said, I'm going to ask them for, for press access. He's like, after all the money slung at them, I doubt they're going to give it to you. He makes a good point, but we'll see. Uh, indeed. We'll see. We'll see, Dewey Bear. We'll see. Or I can just bump a friend's account who probably ended up, uh, I'll, I'll bump it off one of you guys in chat that ended up uh, backing it. We'll see if I can't get in. It just, I don't know, I, I, I just, you know, I just hate how all the fun parts of MMORPGs are are pushed to the end game. It's just such a bizarre experience. And back to Maple Story 2, That's why you know the beauty of Maple Story 2 is you got the grind that every MMORPG has. You you got the, but now you have a ton of other shit you can do. Whether it's the the customized crafting and customization for gear, the music writing, the mini games. The mini games I think are especially good, and it can really broaden the audience, like to capture more casuals. Like honestly, like if Maple Story Two has like. Mario party like amount of minigames, that's gonna be god tier. Like I don't think they have that many yet, but if they just add more, like that's what they should be like focusing their content on. They just turn out more mini games for their Maple Story too. And the game's gonna do amazing IMO. We shall see.
0: Hmm? So it's uh, well, I already know the answer. So Maple Story Two is your most excited for MRPG of the summer, right?
1: I cannot get excited for a Kickstarter back game. It just—it just no against, maybe, no. no it's maybe Star- what is your most ex- look yeah? People start to too, but okay. I, I, I mean, Azure Creation and, oh. and Star Citizen and Camelot and Chain and Crowfall. These are all games that are like still like in the ethereal plane. Like they don't exist in this realm yet. You know, they're, they're still in the shadow realm. Uh, they don't exist in the real world until uh you know I get a chance to play them. Actually, on that note, Alpha, did you hear about uh Camelot and Chain, delayed? Yep. And they said they were pushing for uh July fourth. Uh, access and now they're not going to meet it looks like. Uh, they said they're going to be, um, they have a clearer picture on how long the delay will be by Thursday so it's definitely not happening this week it looks like but they said it's not going to be a year delay or a three month delay. They firmly wrote out it's not going to be a year or th- it'll be a less than a three month delay but that's unfortunate because this news literally comes out like two days before the supposed um, early uh, some kind of alpha for Camelot Unchained. This would be like the first public access for this game and Camelot unchained i i've been looking all the videos posted on our youtube channel for this game and it's this is this one seems so far away from some kind of actual playable release i mean it's got it's got good funding it's got you know mark jake is behind it he knows what he's doing but it just seems so far from a real game so far but they were pushing for this july 4th day i was excited for it. i was hesitant that they were going to make it but i gotta wait a bit longer to give it a try now
0: yeah, I, I'm actually surprised by how little um, blitzing of press they're doing compared to other companies. Like, there's so few gameplay videos. You know, there's not much
1: for Camelot Chain. Yeah, yeah, I know. They, 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 there's never any gameplay videos shown. What's remarkable is like, like Asher Creation with you know what it is today. I mean, they've shown so much more yep. than what Camelot Chain has shown. Like, Camelot Chain has shown almost nothing. And again, this is a guy who's at least you know he's got. He raised millions in backing now from besides besides crowdfunding money. They, he raised millions from private investors, and he's made uh you know he's worked on the Roguelike Camelot and you know Warhammer Online. And, and despite that, they, he's shown so little. I mean, I, I, I'm rooting for for Mr. Sharif to get Azure Creation out. I'm just I still remain skeptical, but you know, a, a game made by somebody who actually really loves PGs would be great. Okay, so this I think this is a okay yeah this
0: is the gameplay we have from uh. 2016 it's the a dragon drag- con one, right yeah, yeah. Th- this is it
1: I, I looked for more and more recent gameplay video there's nothing they're 2016 th- this game there's so little content like gameplay look at these janky ass running animations did you see that shit
0: yeah I saw I don't know what they're trying to show. I don't know what's going on in this
1: video <laughs> I- honestly I would've been mega I-, I was like when I first read that they're pushing for some kind of public alpha testing on July 4th there's no fucking way I did think they were going to do it, but they they were, you know, he had the whole party hat on and everything. So, oh, shit, Mark Jacobs is going to do it, boys. And we got nothing. Not yet. We got to wait a little bit longer. So, this is definitely an ambitious title as well. But we just got to wait a little bit longer yeah. to try it out.
0: And it should be worth noting. The reason uh, uh, it took so long to show anything for this game is it, it's a custom engine. Whereas, yeah. uh, you know, actually, Creation and all these other games are Unreal. using
1: Unreal, which is, you know,
0: very easy to whip up a, a map.
1: Yeah. Wh- whipping up a map in Unreal and letting you walk around through trees and like swinging a sword, that's pretty easy to do, honestly. You give me like three hours, some YouTube tutorials, and I download Unreal Engine 3, I can load up like a basic forest map and have a character with a shoulder shield running around. Like you could do that within a few hours of Unreal. And we see that a lot quicker in a lot of Kickstarter games. So you do have to give some credit to Camelot Unchained that they did all this in a custom engine. And the beauty of the custom engine is that hopefully it won't lag as much. We've seen the disaster that was blessed to play on uh, Unreal Engine, and we've seen how poorly games like Terra even run today so at least having their own engine will give them hopefully more smoother gameplay yes
0: yes that's exactly why they did it they said internally they were they tested Unreal um, but they want to do like these huge like you know 500 versus 500 oh, yeah, yeah, battles yeah. and they, un, they said Unreal 4 can't handle it um, mm. so they're doing it from scratch uh, and I think we'll see we'll see when uh, all these actual creation all these games come out and we're going to test beta testing how laggy are they how much does the frames drop how much you know lag is there when um, when you have multiple people on the screen Alright, let's see this clip. Sure. Oh, this looks better. Yeah, I like this. This looks a lot better. Holy moly.
1: This looks pretty badass, actually. This looks like Dayok 2.0. This is what I would imagine Dayok to look like today. This is what I want from, you know, a modern game. And, 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 holy shit, talk about older games being more ambitious, remember? When Dark Age of Camelot came out in, like, what, 2003 or something? Like, before WoW, right? 2002? Yeah, definitely before WoW. Definitely. Yeah, before, Dark Age of Camelot. It was such an ambitious title. that you, There's really nothing else like it even today. You had like five, you had a thousand players on a single battlefield in realm versus realm battles. You had this amazing faction versus faction versus faction combat. Two thousand In two thousand one, you had hundreds, if not up to a thousand players, three different factions, literally doing castle control in this persistent open area. But the beauty of the battlegrounds in this game was they were persistent. You had to actually go to the frontiers. It was literally the border of your country. Like there was three factions, and there were just these giant continents, these three countries rather. And you would all go to your border, and the borders would all be next to each other. And like the battlefield would be happening between all three. It would be in a persistent area. You don't zone it as a bullshit, and you fight there. You're actually fighting in a persistent zone, and you capture castles. And I remember you can you actually get siege weaponry as well. And like they were they, were, they did a ton of damage to walls and shit. And the the, the freaking catapults would actually like, one shot players. They land on them, and there's a really intricate system designed around rewarding PvP. It was. Like, words cannot describe how much more ambitious PvP was in Dark Age of Camelot, because... Think of PvP in World of Warcraft. When you kill someone in World of Warcraft, what do you get? You get some honor points. fuck the honor points do? Nothing for the most part. And if you, if you end up like, being the, the world, high gladiator, you get some better gear, some PvP gear, which is good for PvP, but not really great for PvE. Like, it wasn't even the best gear in the game. If you PvP'd in Dark Age of Camelot, you literally unlocked skills that you just didn't have access to if you didn't do PvP. Like, you would unlock new- every, every race, every class would have a new set of skills for PvP. That you would unlock the PvP, and those skills, guess what? You bring with you into PVE. Well, and that's, that's another good, good point about ambition back then
0: versus today. First of all, even this game, which is made by the same guy who made Age uh, of Camelot, is less ambitious because there's no PVE element to it. So yeah. dark of Camelot had a full-fledged PVE part to it. I'm, I'm, so, I'm talking, you know, dungeons, you know, bosses, you know, yeah, epic gear drops and all that crap, all that stuff, you know. Uh, and on top of it, had this you know RVR stuff going on. Uh, whereas this game only has, I shouldn't say only, I think there's one PvP-esque dungeon. where you can, I'm not sure what killing the Mobs does, but I know there's not a traditional, like, uh, grind. Or PvE, you know, in this game.
1: Look, you literally got, it was amazing. You you unlocked new, activatable skills. And not just one or two, there were like dozens. Oh, and you you literally got permanent stats for doing PvP. Oh, you, you unlocked enough PvP points, you can spend it on permanently getting like 20 new intelligence points. That stick with you forever. It was actually amazing. Like even as like an if you weren't into PvP, you'd have to like you could still do it and participate. And like you didn't the beauty of the PvP was it, it wasn't like super high risk, high reward. It was when you died in PvP, you didn't really lose anything. It was a minor inconvenience, and that's it. But if you fight for your faction, you know you had to go to the front lines and take keeps for your faction. You you literally get rewarded with permanent stat points and new abilities. And beyond that, whichever faction controls there was like a handful of relics that were were in the in the in the frontiers. Whichever faction controlled the relic got realm wide bonuses so if your faction owns a relic everyone in the faction gets bonus like maybe more intelligence more stats like perfect while they control that faction there was a real sense of like pride for fighting for midgard or albion or hibernia like it was intense and it was such a it was a a mind-blowingly ambitious game that you just compared to like even bless that they spent like 70 million dollars on what it's a generic korean pve game with some pvp it it is nothing ambitious about bless there was never anything ambitious about it like and somebody mentioned even games today being less ambitious. Like, this game is only th- like, three classes per faction, right? If you look at the class in Dark of the Camelot, holy shit! The game, had, like, the game had, like, over 10 races per faction, and, like, at least 15 classes per faction. It's insane! It looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14... 16 classes per faction. 16! With multiple races for every single one. There's, like, over... There's over... 45 different uh, classes in this game. It was it was ambitious as fuck. Uh, I I
0: want I want to play the old trailer, okay? It's like shitty quality though. It's a reupload on YouTube, but uh I see
1: it. Let's watch this for a minute. Nostalgia time, boys. Do you remember this trailer? Let's take a
2: look. Welcome to Dark Age of Camelot. I love this voice. Albion, Midgard and Hibernia are at war. In the years since the death of King Arthur, the fragile peace between these realms has been shattered. To which realm will you pledge your allegiance? Albion. Here, races of men struggle to uphold the ideals of Arthur and his great kingdom, Camelot. The defenders of this realm rely upon a balance of powerful magic and strength of arms. (laughs) Join the forces of Albion as a valiant paladin This warrior of faith uses both sword and divine favor to aid comrades in battle. A powerful wizard, a mage that wields elemental magic to obliterate enemies. A cunning scout. An archer who strikes at foes from long range with a fearsome long- Alright, let's let's
1: let's skip ahead a little here.
2: I thought those spells, casting in Dark Age Camelot, was the coolest thing in the world. Because <laughs> I keep the
1: spells were disgusting. I but like, oh my god, the Dark Age of Camelot spells were gorgeous. I would be like, holy shit dad, look, when I cast this shield on myself, look how cool and it, it looks. Like, I call my dad over look at my screen. <laughs> the buffs look so badass in the game. I love the way I love the way they wave their hands.
2: Every spell is like a different, like, you know, like... They'd always move their hands around. The Emerald Isle is yours to discover. Midgard, a land of strength, courage, and noble tradition, where warriors fierce and fearless seek to honor their gods through victory on the field of battle. By force of arms and lust for glory, the races of the north strive for dominance over their enemies. Rally to yeah, the yeah, werewolves and yeah. fire giants. Yeah,
1: this is a pretty it cool is a trailer, time
0: well, there it is. So, th- anyway, uh, on Chain is by the same guy. Even the
1: names are similar, I guess. So, there it is. Yeah, I'm looking forward to giving it a try. Unfortunate that they did have that delay, though. But, I mean, hopefully, we'll find out on Thursday again how, how bad the delay is. Hopefully, it still comes out later this month, if anything, because I, I do want to give it a try, you know. Especially after I saw that more modern gameplay trailer, that little clip for it, so. PP in that game was pretty intense. There was actually, I could gush about, you know, the RPG Camelot for a while, but, yeah. It was something else indeed all right well anything else or shall we move on to the post game we should move on to the post game all right uh, thanks for watching everyone on uh on on youtube though i did want to mention my questing but i can maybe bring it back to later i'll mention it next later don't worry all right all right next time guys gotta wait for this all to right the post game boys thanks for watching again on youtube